yo, I'm sore today. Like, I, I don't feel good physically right now. Mentally, I'm there, but physically, I'm an absolute disaster at the moment. How, how much you putting on the bench now? I mean, what are you trying to, you trying to put the, put your own pecs over here? What's going on? No, I mean, I'm just like, I, I feel like crap here. Like, I need a full body massage. I really do because I'm so sore and I don't stretch properly before I work out. But to answer your question, yesterday, I wasn't, I didn't, uh, bench. I was using, um, dumbbells, right? So I used 80 pound dumbbells and did 10 reps of that for chest yesterday, which I thought was, was pretty decent. Sounds well, yeah. I mean, it's no WBF uh, potential there, but uh, sounds like you just need something that can, uh, I don't know, aid in the healing, right? Like, like get you back on the road quicker. Maybe IcoPro. I was actually, I was actually thinking about IcoPro. You know, I thought about our old buddy Lex Luger and those old uh, WBF commercials <laughs> with the IcoPro. I think the IcoPro would probably do wonders for me. What a waste of money that Lex Express. I, like, you know, you talk about one day getting to, to get in the WWE warehouse. I, I hope that they still have that, that tour bus just sitting like the back of the WWE warehouse with Lex's chest spread all the way across it. No, do you imagine, like, imagine, like, I'm going to set the scene. Like, it's early 1993 and Vince McMahon comes up with the idea. We're going to turn Lex Luger into the next great American hero and he's going to feud with Yokozuna and we're going to send him around the country to shake hands and kiss babies. Like, Lex Luger was not the right call to do that the lex express that was absolutely awful yeah I, who, who who would be a uh who would be a pick you could put on the side of the bus today is there anybody out there who could actually attempt to try to pull that gimmick off oh, it's john cena that's the only answer to the question it's uh, no one kisses babies and shakes hands quite like our guy john cena Nah, give me my guy rusev putriev one day he's turning baby put him on the side of the bus he's going to take over america like he did bulgaria and russia back to back that's what i'm talking about Welcome into In This Corner with Brian Campbell. This is the WWE edition. I am Nick Costos, and I'll be honest with you, dear listener. I look handsome today. I'm tan. I'm well-rested. I'm intelligent. I get paid to talk about sports in my life. It's pretty great. But enough about me. I am joined, as always, by my tag team partners. First, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. He's loquacious. He's verbose. To be honest, he's kind of a control freak, and he's kind of a pain in the ass, but damn it, he's our control freak, and he's our pain in the ass. Silver King, how you doing today? Hey now. And of course, we are joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. He is the showstopper. Yeah? He is the icon. What? He is the main event. Bring it. He's the man with all the energy. Preach it. He's the man with the plan. Truth. He is the main draw on this podcast and the main draw in the sports entertainment and combat sports landscape. Yeah. Do not stress, dear listener. Do not stress. He's brought his talents to CBS. He is the Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC, tell him what's on the podcast today. Nick, it's time to get some of this, like Mark Henry pulling off a salmon jacket, giving you your audio fix. Well, that's what I do. So no need for a masking agent. Get ready for that untraceable gold that is the performance-enhancing audio, the kind that only in this corner can give you. Look, guys, we got a big show planned for today. Recapping, of course, the week that was from Raw and SmackDown. If you're looking for a breakdown of Sunday's Backlash card or Saturday's fantastic NXT TakeOver Chicago card, we gave that to you in Monday's Instant Analysis podcast, so be sure to listen to that. But today, we're going to dig holes. 
take souls like we always do. Feel spots will be activated. Maybe a few DM slides, but most importantly, we're going to hit you up shortly with an A-list guest who dropped by in this corner, WWE champion Jinder Mahal, the Maharaja, so you won't want to miss that. But for now, it's time to hand it back off to the Greek the most passionate man in North America, Nick Costos. Let's get this show started. And BC, that introduction right there, why you are the best in the business. Guys, as always, we begin with the main event. And what a job on SmackDown Live this week. And guys, this is what's got me fired up. Money in the Bank pay-per-view. It's a SmackDown exclusive coming up in a month. And they announced the six participants for this match. The phenomenal AJ Styles. Kevin Owens, the United States champion. Shinsuke Nakamura. Baron Corbin. Dolph Ziggler. And Sami Zayn. BC, your initial take coming up on the main event of the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. You know, mostly strong. A little bit of good and bad mixed in here. Uh, definitely strong by the names. This is a star-studded field. This is a six-pack of high-quality names. If you're just looking at this MITB match in terms of the potential for in-ring quality, you could do a lot worse, right, than Styles, KO, Shinsuke. You know, you're going to have the guys like Ziggler and Zayn, who you know can sell, can do big spots. There's a lot of potential for this match. My real question, I guess on the negative side is, you know, it, it kind of feels like we're announcing the field pretty early. Did, did anybody else catch that vibe? I'll tell you the one thing I really didn't like. If if they were going to do what they did at the start of the show, right, which was to have Angle, uh, Shane McMahon come out and talk about the five participants and then tell Kevin Owens he wasn't going to be in the match, why not drag that out for a couple weeks? Like, make Kevin Owens win a match to get in. Like, KO comes out, he complains for ten seconds, and, and Shane immediately puts him in the money in the bank match. So, I I thought the booking as far as that is concerned was a little wonky. Silver King, what was your initial reaction to the Money in the Bank uh, announcement? So you're right about people needing to get their way into the match, but I don't think Kevin Owens is one of them. I mean, I understand they went with that angle early, but he's the United States champion. He won at Backlash. The three Backlash losers should have been the ones that had to win their way into the match. And yeah, you can drag it out for one week, two weeks, but they could have at least done it this week. Right now, 20 minutes in to SmackDown this week, we know the two main events of a pay-per-view in four weeks. That's not good booking. That's not good writing. So you have those three losers have to compete in matches either just this week or over the next two weeks and win their way back in. What does that do? That not only gets their names in there, but it puts three other superstars on SmackDown over by having them be contenders. Here's what I want to know. So you guys are both right. The right six are in it. If you want them to maximize the quality of the Money in the Bank match, you need these six guys in it. But there's usually a little bit of a break. There's one or two kind of outsiders that find their way in, and they do that to put those other big names in other matches on the card. So here's what I want to know. Where's Mojo Rawley? Jinder Mahal is the champion. He got embarrassed by Mojo Rawley twice. Oh, that with, was for Gronk, with Gronk though. But that, does, that was just for Gronk. But where, but where is he? He's not even on the show. You put him in the match. You put uh, Adam. We know where he is. He's giving a tour to British kids. Well, th uh, yeah, that, that seemed to be the that seemed to be the end of his character forever. Um, but yeah, announcing it so far out for me was the biggest issue. And you're right. People do need to win their way in, but not Owens. Just. The guys that lost. BC, well, I, 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 I feel got a little like you bit undersold of a it, bro. To jump all over you. I got a little bit of a continuity issue. It's just that, you know, and look, again, we could be negative about anything. This is not like, let's say, a negative show. We're a very, we're a very positive group who pops for the right reasons. I just don't like the lack of explanation of why Money in the Bank, which really, we're being honest, it's the fifth major, right? There's many years where Money in the Bank gets you more excited than Survivor Series. I, where Money I think in the it's Bank four, takes dude. that fourth yeah. major spot from Survivor Series. It's only the last two years where Survivor Series kind of mattered again arguably not really my question is why is this a smackdown exclusive pay-per-view why does it need to be and although i am 
happy with the quality of the six wrestlers involved. Money in the Bank is a company-wide initiative, right? It's the it's it's done best when it's out there for anyone. When arguably a quote-unquote jobber could work his way into the match. It's always a storyline in play. What if this person actually wins the match and wins the briefcase and can cash it in at any time for any belt? Now they've taken away some of that by saying it's now only a SmackDown thing and it's pretty much only a, a WWE championship thing. I don't know if there was an, enough explanation to... Maybe I'm a stickler for for the foundation always being strong, for it being as much of a mirror of real sports as it can be while it's a fake sports product, but it just it just kind of left me hanging there. All right, so a lot for us to dig into here with this Money in the Bank main event. First off, I'm going to tell you, Brian, there is a jobber in this match. His name is Sami Zayn, so oh. Sami Zayn, listen, <laughs> it just is what it is. I know the back-to-back wins over Baron Corbin. That's all well and good, but they're actually calling Sami Zayn the underdog now, which means that fans are going to be conditioned to not oh, expect not him new. to win. The, the, un- the underdog from the underground is his old NXT shirt. No, but, but, but like, they are really hammering that. So you had AJ Styles calling each of the guys by their nicknames in the promo segment open raw last night and he goes the underdog Sami Zayn fans are going to be conditioned to expect him to lose so I do think that you do have a jobber to the stars in this match here now I am going to agree with something you said Bry and I actually thought I was going to be in the minority here money in the bank is so awesome there should be a raw money in the bank match also am I right here like I feel like they're missing an opportunity here that's a watering down potential of the product. I got a little issue that there should be two of them. I just say, I don't know if you have to make this a Raw and SmackDown unified pay-per-view, but I don't like separating it. That was my only issue there. So then what do you do? I I mean, do you break the rules like you did at Payback right after WrestleMania where it's a Raw exclusive pay-per-view? But hey, we got a problem here, guys. We got a lot of SmackDown guys in the marquee and not really explaining why. I think there's there's maybe something you can do, maybe putting it separate from an exclusive thing, maybe putting the money in the bank thing off of the network, off of a pay per view, and putting it on uh, on during the week and making it making it a separate event that's not really a pay per view, that's just sort of like a one off on a Thursday or Friday night. I mean, there's other things you could have done. I don't know if this is the right move. You could also do something like put the King of the Ring back, maybe either as an event or as something exclusively for Raw, and give them a guy who maybe doesn't get a briefcase but gets a similar type of opportunity for the Raw belt. I like the the best idea that's been proposed is putting them all in one match, having Raw and SmackDown. One guy wins, he can pick any belt at any time. But you can do things to give Raw uh, contenders an opportunity. I, I like that idea. I will take Umbridge, though, BC. Like, watering down, Money in the Bank is awesome. Like, I would love to have a guy with a briefcase on Raw and a guy with a briefcase on SmackDown. To me, that's not a watering down. That's more excellence on both of these shows and more reason to get excited. Well, there's an argument in there because there's an argument to say that if you watch the, the show Survivor on CBS, every time somebody finds a hidden immunity idol and cashes it in, you know the next episode there's going to be another hidden one. So there's an argument and there's two ways to do it. The argument is do you do it like Survivor and have the money in, in the bank be something that's in play year round that every time someone cashes it in, you then the next pay-per-view or the next week on Raw or whatever have another money in the bank match to to release another one into the wild. I'd rather have one in the wild at all times rather than two i think though you do have to make that decision is it a once a year thing and once it's cashed in it's gone or do you fully go all in and not care about watering it down and make it a a year-round thing i'm more into that debate than having two active at once and i love survivor on cbs just like every single show that you should watch (laughs) on cbs now i do think that the two of you guys undersold this a little bit this match is going to be awesome 
I would argue that on paper, it's the best ever field that they've had for money in the bank. And I think you want to talk about watering down. You put Mojo Rawley in this match and make it seven people, that waters it down to me. You've got six bona fide stars in this match here. I know I called Sammy Zane a dog. Oh, yeah, now Zane's a star, but, but right? <laughs> no, but, but I mean, as far as work rate's concerned, the guy's unbelievable. He's going to be great in this match. I am super pumped up for this match. And I think this just goes to show you, and this is probably a bigger topic for another time, SmackDown, the far superior show to Raw, and I think this match is going to be absolutely wonderful. You know, just to clarify, I, I'm not saying to add, uh, what's his name, Mojo Rawley to this match. The point is, I love, I, everything you just said, I completely agree with. It's going to be a star-studded match, and it should be spectacular. Because if you're talking about putting the best workers in the most exciting match, they've done it. And maybe that isn't something to complain about, and maybe I'm just looking for, you, you are. know, things to complain about, but. That's why you're the silver. But king. by, but by doing that, the entire Money in the Bank card is going to be affected. So you have to look at what else are they going to put on there. They will have a women's match. They will have a tag team match. That's four matches. Jinder Orton again. Yeah, that's four matches. What else is left? Most pay-per-views have eight matches. So that's what I'm talking about. So we well, will hey, you can even make this works. an epic hour match, and I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have a problem with it because of the field involved. Do you guys personally, as a preference... Like it better when that when that briefcase is cashed in right away like Dean Ambrose did last year, and it worked, guys. It, it made that pay-per-view very exciting from Vegas at the end where he cashes it in after the, the Reigns-Rollins title match. Or do you like it when it's sort of holding the 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 weekly broadcast hostage? Do you like when they pump fake it? Somebody runs down with it, but then doesn't put it in the referee's hands. How do you, how would you book this year's in that regard to how you want to see it used? So this is why I like having the idea of two money in the bank matches, one for each show. So you have the option of doing one on one show and one for the other. If you're asking me what my preference is, I like the idea of holding it hostage, right? And you never know when it's going to happen. And then you can tease it a couple times throughout the course of a calendar year. And I know that JBL said on SmackDown on Tuesday night that Dolph Ziggler cashing the night after WrestleMania 29 was the best one ever. That's obviously not true. It was obviously Seth Rollins at WrestleMania 31, the first ever one at WrestleMania, in the main event of the biggest show of the year. That was great. So I don't necessarily like spoiling it early because to me, it's like a Christmas present, except you don't know when it's coming. For me, for this viewer... The anticipation builds, and it builds, and it builds, and I just want it to happen. And all the times they tease it, it's really, really, really cool. Hits me, Bri, right in that feel spot. Yeah, by cashing it in early, you miss all those fun opportunities of booking on that SmackDown television show and on future pay-per-views. And the other thing is this. The Money in the Bank briefcase, it's like another championship because you're basically crowning someone a champion without giving them the belt, and you're seeing how the fans react to them. So by cashing it in early, you completely lose that. Now, if you go to the idea of having someone year-round, okay, you can do that. That's fine. But if it's a one-shot-a-year deal, they need to have it for at least two or three months at a bare minimum. Yeah, and to to your point, Adam, uh, essentially on on it elevating somebody as as almost a pseudo-title – I'm going to be really honest. I don't like when already established main event guys win it because then it gives you that feeling that it's going to be cashed in very soon because there's no need for them to run around with it. I like it a lot better when someone wins it who you start to say to yourself, how would I feel if that guy actually did cash it in and actually did win it? That's why when, let's say, Sheamus had won it, I don't, even though I'm not a big Seamus guy, I actually like it better in his, in his, in his hands because I'm like, wow, what would it, what would the world look like? Which we, we found out again at the end of 2015. But what would the world look like if Seamus cashed it in and he was the champion and they actually built around him? 
that's why I like when you do have a couple pseudo jobbers in there that gives it that element. And Jack Swagger is the one that I go back to, Brian. I know you mentioned Sheamus. For me, it was Swagger when he cashed in on, on Chris Jericho. Cause I remember thinking, like, what the hell are they going to do with Jack Swagger? He's going to win the belt. And then it happened. And of course that turned out to be an epic disaster, but SmackDown on Tuesday night. Not an epic disaster. I really enjoyed the show. We had a couple Money in the Bank matches, a rematch from the last pay-per-view backlash and Sami Zayn against Baron Corbin. Zayn going over with a roll-up very quickly. Corbin beating him up after the match. I actually thought that was pretty good. More on that coming up in moments. And then, Brian, the main event tag team match, AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura against Kevin Owens and Dolph Ziggler, the internet wrestling community's wet dream with those four guys (laughs) in in one ring here. How did you feel about what we saw on Tuesday as far as the money in the bank participants are concerned uh well said right there I, look i gotta give wwe credit you put aj nakamura on the same team you tease that with a locker room segment where they are at least giving justice to the fact that we they have done time before as adversaries in japan right like i like that there's times wwe acknowledges that that new japan wrestling happened and that a lot of these guys built their names there and then there's other times where it makes sort of no sense when they don't this match main event uh, specifically this tag team match I loved it, right? I mean, the energy was fantastic. This was the best representation of Nakamura since he's come to the main roster. And, and I, I couldn't right. put over that any, any better and put over how it did, it did its job. It fueled excitement for the money in the bank match. That's, that's the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, you know, what you're saying is right. Getting Nakamura into a match on SmackDown won me over. I mean, I've been talking about it for six weeks. I want the guy to wrestle on television, and he got the opportunity to do so. I love the match. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to – everything you said is you just basically nailed it. For me, it excites me more for the Money in the Bank match when they do things like this, where they give it to you right away. Here's four of the guys. Week one. They don't make you wait with singles matches. They just gave us a great main event right off the bat. And this will dovetail into something we're about to discuss when we get into Raw. But for me, it felt fresh when the SmackDown guys did this. But what they're doing on Raw with the main event guys of the next pay-per-view, the Fatal Five-Way, does not feel as fresh to me. But we'll get into that momentarily here. But what this showed me, Brian, with Nakamura going over Owens as the finish in that match... That showed me that Nakamura is going to be the guy that they protect here. I don't think Nakamura is going to win money in the bank, but he's not going to be the one that looks bad at the end. They are going to go out of their way here to protect their investment in Shinsuke Nakamura. And I think that's a pretty smart move. And it's a very smart move. It's a very smart sort of way to look at it. And, and I have one of our, one of our listeners, one of our dedicated listeners who's a, who's a regular slider into my DMs. He works at the arena in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where there will be a house show on June 3rd, the night before the, that next pay per view, the nice. extreme rules. And he's been keeping me abreast at what the main event of this house show has been over the past few weeks, how it's changed internally. Now the most, the latest update is that it's Jinder Mahal defending the WWE Championship against Shinsuke Nakamura, where in the beginning it was multiple variations of tag matches. This shows you... Obviously, the plans they have for Nakamura, right? This this is a good sign. I absolutely a good sign, and I for the first time, and I said it on the the post backlash show that we did. I did not love that Nakamura Ziggler match, Adam. I agree with you though, Bud and Brian. I agree with you. I thought this was the best representation of Nakamura since he's debuted. We'll get more into Nakamura in a second. One last note here on SmackDown before we move on to Raw, and I don't think this merits a ton of time here, but I do think it's worth noting because I think Baron Corbin's got a chance to win Money in the Bank. We know Vince loves him here. This was the first time that I felt like Baron Corbin actually resonated as a heel with the audience with his post match beat 
takedown of Zayn, yelling at referees. There was a spot, guys, as you saw at the end here when he's beating up Zayn against the ring apron, there were two, like, small children there watching this, like, looking horrified. <laughs> Traumatized. As, like, as, as the dad's like, what, what the hell am I supposed to do here? Like, it was, it was pretty good stuff from Baron Corbin. Like, to me, that was the best thing Baron Corbin's done since he's been on the main roster. I mean, he's losing the battle to his own hairline. We know that for sure. But, oh, he's uh, a Norwood too at this point. I think. <laughs> Look, the point you make is fine, but I believed in the point you made better when he was doing the same thing to Dean Ambrose two months ago. So to me, he's sort of just stuck in a in a waiting period until they have something bigger for him. All right, let's move on, guys, to Monday Night Raw. We know that all the builds focused around that fatal five-way coming up ahead of Extreme Rules, uh, the next Raw pay-per-view. Brian, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit sort of to our creative process here because I think this is worth noting. So Brian puts together the rundown for the show. We bandy it about before we actually do it. So Brian, I'm going to read the sentence that you wrote verbatim here. Will any of the booking actually matter until then? Extreme rules or will it just be one entertaining yet utterly meaningless match after another? And I give you that to give you this. If I had written the rundown, that is probably exactly the sentence that I would have written. You and I are on exactly the same page, bud, so I'm going to give you the baton. Roll with this here. Tell us why you think this is the case. Look, I thought Raw was slightly the better show this week. I thought it was quick moving. I thought it was entertaining. I do admit that utterly, ultimately nothing really happened. So I think this is the last week that WWE, I think, can pull this off. They announced the... The, the fatal five way coming off that Strowman injury. They announced the five guys who will be in there in extreme rules. They announced it early enough, just like the money in the bank situation where it challenges them to do enough in the storylines to make you care. I think this is the last week where they can do almost nothing in the storylines and just make you care due to the quality of the matches and seeing some of these guys together for either the first or second time, you know, like seeing Balor and Reigns wrestle again or, or, or seeing some of the combinations that we saw this week. This week was just good because the wrestling was crisp. I don't think I will care and be as forgiving when I review the shows and weigh them against each other next week when it sounds like it's probably going to be the same thing over again. I think the only potential for them to really change it is the the, the Roman Reigns-Seth Rollins beef that they teased that this past week in the tag team main event that they announced will be a singles match next week. If that is actually going to be something that will affect the, the, the road into that extreme rules match, then I can get down with it because bottom line guys, I think there is still a lot of money on the table for Rollins and Reigns, no matter what role they're playing heel or babyface to feud in singles feuds at the highest level, to have them in a mega powers esque tag team angle and let it explode. So that's the saving grace that if you don't do anything with that, I'm probably going to have a negative review if next week's Raw looks exactly like how this one played out. We're going to swing back to the Reigns-Rollins conversation in just a moment here. But worth noting here, Bri, love you, buddy. This is In This Corner with Brian Campbell. You are the main event. You are the star. You are also wrong. SmackDown was the better show this week. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know that our guy, Adam Silverstein, the Silver King, uh, he does agree. Now, Bri, I do want to ask you this because I think that this is sort of the fly in the ointment and the thing that's missing here. I think that the writers are in a corner here with Monday Night Raw with no Brock on the show for another couple weeks, and obviously that's a planned absence. But losing Braun Strowman here, I feel like they almost don't know what to do. And that's why you're getting just this mismatch of the same five guys in the same matches every week here. I know they did a little something different with Balor and Carl Anderson teasing, you know, the Bullet Club, the Balor Club, whatever the hell they're calling it. That was okay. But, Brian, that's where I feel like the issue is here. I feel like because Strowman's not on the show and because Brock's not there, they don't know what the hell they're doing right now. It doesn't have to be – it's just because it's not Strowman there. It's essentially just because – 
they didn't tease enough to to set up a foundation where you had to secure these spots either in the money in the bank match or in this five way. It was just announced, which echoes what Adam said. They could have really honestly spent two weeks milking play in matches or some kind of mini tournament to decide who's in this match. Now, I do think on uh, circling back to Reigns Rollins here because of what they did in the shield and because they're both mega stars in the company, they'll always have something. There's always going to be some juice when these two guys are in the ring together, either as a tag team partner or against each other. BC, from the sounds of it, you'd like to see a Reigns-Rollins program, sounds like, in the not-so-distant future. And look, we know that Reigns-Lesnar appears to be the plan for next year's WrestleMania, but I agree with you, buddy. I don't know if I'd be upset if we saw Reigns-Rollins. I don't know if that's the direction they're going to go in, but that would be a hell of a singles program. Oh, I mean, it would. It would for so many great reasons. I don't think they're going to go this way, though. I, I feel like they tipped their hand, though, this week on Raw. In, in, in Silver King, I want to get your take on this. I feel like what they told us without telling us is that after Extreme Rules, you already know Joe and Rollins will be together. So the two feuds you will see are R- Reigns versus Wyatt and Lesnar versus Balor. Did you get that feeling? I mean, they set it up. That way, it was way too obvious when Heyman came in to interrupt Balor. Like, once you, if you're bringing Paul Heyman back, whoever he's going after, that's who Brock Lesnar's gonna fight. Now, maybe they gave us a swerve, and maybe they're just using these kind of feuds, because Balor didn't have anyone to really feud against head to head leading into this match. And maybe they're gonna give us a swerve and reset things once the match is over, and just use these as like, the head to head issues that are gonna go down during this fatal five way. But, yeah, I mean, if not, then it's way too obvious what they're planning to do. I do want to circle back and just go to one point that you made about Strowman. What do you got, Silver King? Strowman not being on the show, it's just so noticeable at this point. And it it hurts because they had built this up with Strowman for so many weeks. He was the star of the show. He was the star of the show for, like, a month straight. The one thing I will say, though, that I think we're all missing here, Raw has a ton of of main event talent. Like, any one of those guys could win the Fatal Five-Way, plus Strowman, plus Lesnar. Any of those guys could hold the Universal title, and you'd be okay with it. That And, and Raw, Raw's solid, but that six-man money in the bank, plus, I mean, we all, Jinder has the title now, plus Orton, Cena's not there. It's not as strong as Raw. They legitimately have seven dudes that could hold the Universal title. But, but... SmackDown's better. Oh yeah, no question about and, it. Which is which is crazy to me, and that's why I feel like maybe the writing and the storylines on SmackDown have been a little better because you look at the workers on both show, the workers on Monday Night Raw, absolutely sensational. I, I will say, but I did agree. It's with a simpler show, right? It, 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 you have less time, you can stretch things out. You're right. You have less bodies. It's a simpler. It's a simpler setup. I will say, I did agree with Brian that this was a strong week of Raw. Like I actually watched a three-hour Raw and didn't get bored. It and, wasn't bad, I, and didn't get bored. But to say it was better than SmackDown this week is insane. All right, BC, Paul Heyman, Finn Balor. Or did that hit you in the old field spot? So it didn't. It, it, it didn't really? at all. And I think it exposed the – I get what they were trying to do, right? Like Heyman's out there to try to put over Finn and really put over that Finn could be a challenger for Brock. And I've said that when we sort of fantasy book SummerSlam that I think the company will do Balor Brock for many reasons as the main event of SummerSlam. I just think it exposed the one part of Finn's game that is obviously not up to, to the, to the same level as his in-ring work or his look or some of the marketable sides about him. And that's obviously his game on the microphone. That was as vanilla a promo as he could have produced both before Heyman came there and then directly after. But I'll give Finn this credit, man. He comes back right after that in that match with Carl Anderson, puts forth the match and the performance of the night and does certain moves 
with an extra element of flair to them, specifically that Topi Canhilo, which obviously had been overplayed. Everyone's doing it. He comes out and rips one where he cuts it so close to the top rope, yet aerodynamically just lands it perfectly and explodes on the, on the club below that it was almost like he showed you what's not good about him and then doubled down what's great about him afterwards. But I will say, I don't know if I understood completely what I was supposed to learn from that promo segment other than, hey, we're probably going to do Lesnar-Balor down the road. Did you catch anything else from that? Yeah, for me, I just think Heyman adds a certain gravitas to the show whenever he's on it. And the show's been missing him. The show's been missing Brock. So I thought it was pretty great. You got Finn Balor out in the ring and you hear Heyman going, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. And immediately your antenna goes up. The hairs on my neck raise a little bit. You get excited for Paul Heyman. And I liked Paul sort of parroting Taz a little bit. All that was missing was the Just Another Victor. Victim, of course, was the buzzword of Paul Heyman's program. And I think that they do these sorts of things right in BC. We've talked about this. They're gauging the audience's reaction, right, to see is the crowd going to pop if they do Finn Balor against Brock Lesnar. And I do think that I got a decent reaction. I love that that's a David Goliath, a classic showdown. And Balor's a good enough worker that that match would be very good no matter what here. And I think that's clearly the direction that they're heading in, Brian. I think you're going to see Finn Balor go over at Extreme Rules. And I think Finn Balor is going to be the next program for the beast, Brock Lesnar. And one thing I, wa- I want to tee you guys up on, Adam, I want to know if you agree with this. You know my issues with the Demon King character for a top babyface. Here we go. Should the Demon King be almost an Incredible Hulk type thing where we'll see the Fonzie version of Finn Balor in the leather jacket, Balor Club, blah, 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 fantastic in the ring. I love that got Fonzie. A, got a nice high yeah. and tight sort of fade is. going on, all good. His haircut's but great. It- but once Brock beats him down and crushes him through a table, he gets so angry that he promises the Demon King will come out. So, yeah, I think that is that. part of it. But I, I think with what they've done with Balor and his new entrance and the Fonzie look, they got to get rid of that leather jacket. Just throw it in the I garbage. Th- I think the leather I, it's jacket, terrible. It's, I think it's pretty cool. No, it's terrible. Honest. It's terrible. And him popping the collar is terrible. I it, just no, think no, you're no, a negative. Our guy Silver King is a negative. No. Fancy. Finn Balor. Is it because Finn Balor looks great? Like, why don't you like no, Finn Balor? I, I, like, the haircut's great. The jacket's great. Stop it. I love Finn Balor, and I've been very positive all show. I don't like the leather jacket. I'm allowed not to like a leather jacket and a guy popping his collar from, you know, 10 years ago. It's, it's done. I think Silver King's it, turned into the Demon King right now. But, I love this. No, so my, my thing with the Demon King is this. We're only going to see it. At pay-per-views. And I know it's a big match thing anyway, but they would at least give you elements of it and, and mention it during the regular broadcast. But I think the only time you are going to see it is at pay-per-views. And I'm going to tell you this, because Brian, you mentioned this a few weeks ago and you wondered, did they get rid of it completely? I, they don't really mention it. I think I heard it one time on Raw. It needs to be part of his character still, and he still needs to do it at pay-per-views. If he doesn't, it really does hurt Finn Balor because he's not amazingly strong on the mic, and that gives him a different gravitas and a different just level when you see him coming out in the makeup with the crawling entrance. It's fantastic. Bri, you hit me in the feel spot, buddy, when you talked about uh, Finn Balor maybe going to the Demon King after he loses to Brock, where you get a little Mick Foley there, right, where he might lose a match as Mick Foley or Dude Love, and then he goes, okay, if I'm going to beat Triple H, I've got to be Cactus Jack. Oh, yeah. Where it's Finn Teen Balor Wolf, goes, dude. It's, it's basically Teen Wolf yes. with Michael J. Fox. It's fantastic. I, I think that that would be amazing. And that wraps up our main event portion of the show. We've hit SmackDown. We have hit Monday Night Raw. More still to come with Hero and Zero. We're going to slide into Brian Campbell's DMs, and we will hit our individual field spots. But BC, you and I had the opportunity earlier this week to sit down and talk with a very special guest. Break it down for the listeners. 
guest of the week, Jinder Mahal, fresh off of that victory Sunday night. No, no, nothing else to say. Let's throw to the man right now. Very excited to welcome through the ropes and in this corner across from us, the Maharaja himself, fresh off a breakthrough victory over Randy Orton at Sunday's Backlash card in Chicago, your WWE champion. Get a, get that, let that sound reverberate through your ears. Jinder Mahal and Jinder, we only named to bring in the biggest names on this podcast. That's our aim. That's our goal. No one's hotter than you at this exact second. How are you living right now? How do you describe this? I'm living great. You know, it's the Maharaja, the WWE champion, Jinder Mahal, and life can't be any better. Jinder, look, this is this is one of the more positive upsets we've seen in WWE program of someone coming out of nowhere. This is my favorite question to ask somebody in your spot. You beat Orton, you, you shock the WWE universe. You know, you see the you see those expressions of the fans in the crowd. Biggest moment of your career. What are those first sixty seconds uh, uh, like when you go up that ramp? You turn the corner, you walk into Gorilla. How do you? Who are you looking at? Sum up what you hear. What's that like? Actually, I wasn't expecting it, but when I walked into Gorilla, I mean, I didn't even think about that. But as soon as I walked into Gorilla, a bunch of the boys were there, and the referees, and the producers, and dance, and, you know, they were all standing, giving me a standing ovation. And you know what? It was one of the greatest feelings like I've ever had. I don't think I've ever got a standing ovation coming back to Gorilla before. And You know what? It's just, uh, it was uh, like I've been working uh, at this for 15 years now, so half my life, you know, I've dedicated for wrestling and you know it was great and you know it's all been worth it like at the exact moment when i won you know coming back to gorilla and getting the respect from vans and all the all the boys and the producers you know what it was it was really a dream come through and gender i think that you talk about the work ethic and all the work that you've put in you see that in your ridiculously ripped and massive physique and i follow you on instagram the morning after you're back in the gym already you've you've got the salmon you've got the brown rice you've got your protein you've got your carbohydrates so no days off for gender mahal here did you get a second did you get a couple minutes to kind of sit down on sunday night and reflect before you got back in the gym and really absorb the magnitude of what you had accomplished on sunday night at the pay-per-view (laughs) <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't have a, a moment to relax or anything because now I'm the champion. Now it's now the real work starts. You know, if I, if you, you know, if you guys thought that I was working hard to get you, I told you guys see how hard I'm going to work now that I have the WWE champion. You know, I want to keep the WWE champion. Uh, you know, I want to be one of the greatest of all time. So the, the work actually just begins. I was in the gym the very next day. You know, no cheat meal, nothing, no rewards. You know, I'm dieting harder, uh, training harder, and you know. It's going to keep on continuing. Jinder, when was the last time you had a slice of pizza or a beer? Oh, man, it's got to be at least six months. No, no like, in all, oh, se- in, in, no, in all seriousness here, right? Because I work out not to the extent that you do, right? So I only have, like, one cheat meal a week, and halfway through the week, I'm, like, fantasizing about a slice of pizza or a bowl of pasta or something like that. Like, how do you, how are you able to do that to keep your focus? Like, that six months without a cheat meal is absolutely preposterous. That's because instead of fantasizing about food, I'm fantasizing with the WWE Championship, you know. God bless you. I'm fantasizing about, you know, being the best superstar that I can be, improving, you know. I see improvements uh, in my physique, uh, you know, on a week-to-week basis, and it's always my goal to come back in better shape the next week. And it's kind of weird. It kind of becomes addictive. Like, in a way, you know, you, the, the results become addictive. Like, I don't want to, uh, you know, <laughs> like, I, I haven't eaten any junk food in so long. I know that if I eat some, it'll actually make me feel bad, like, you know, not feel healthy anymore because actually I feel great. Like not only do I look great, but I feel great. I I just eat a lot of whole, like you know, real foods, a lot of fruit, a lot of rice, a lot of chicken, fish, um, oatmeal, 
So, you know, I feel great and I look great, but, uh, you know, I I feel so good. I honestly, I'm not even tempted to eat, uh, like, pizza or burger or anything like that. Jinder, I want to get into the build of this feud with Randy Orton. You know, we're a podcast. We're critical of creative. You know, we tell it like it is. There were parts about this build with Randy that we loved. You hanging out of that limo, screaming with a title in your hands. We popped for you. The next few weeks, we're like, I don't know if this is working. I will give you credit, though. Sunday night, it worked. You delivered. How critical on yourself were you over the past few weeks wondering those same things? Is this working? Is the crowd going to receive this when I'm finally holding that belt for real? Yeah, obviously, you know, those thoughts go through your mind, but I trust in the process, and, you know, I trust in Vince and WWE Creative because, you know, he's made superstars before, you know, it's it's possible. They've made superstars in just as a short of time, like uh, maybe, say, JBL, for example, and I think 2004, you know, it's been done, and it's been done successfully. And, you know, obviously Vince, I believe, is like a genius. I, a lot of times Vince will plan something for me or something to do, and I ahead of time thinking, oh, man, this will never work. And then I do it, and the, the reaction is insane. And I'm like, man, I got to give it to you. He really does know what works. Uh, Jinder, the coolest thing that happened during that match on Sunday night with Randy Orton to me was when you got – the John Cena treatment. You got the let's go gender, gender sucks dueling chance from the WWE universe. And to me as a viewer, a lifelong viewer, I'm sitting back and I'm thinking, my God, this guy has made it. Like, I would imagine for you hearing those chants, the magnitude of that moment, that must have been pretty special. Yeah, because you know what? Actually, the Chicago crowd is so unpredictable. I was wondering, like, man, what's the crowd going to be like? Are they going to be quiet? Are they going to be dead? Are they going to cheer me? You know, are they going to see and punk me? <laughs> you know, so all these things are going through my mind because Chicago's is so unpredictable. But uh, all in all, man, I was very happy with the reaction. Everything went well. Very happy with the match. And uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting dynamic like with uh, with a dueling chance. You know, that's what makes wrestling special is the unpredictability. So it was definitely a cool moment. Jinder, what I really liked about this this new look for your character it's just, you know, establishing yourself as a real classic heel. I mean, you're going after the xenophobic thing. You're really putting forth a different culture that a lot of the WWE universe isn't, you know, doesn't normally see. How willing are you or, or were you to sort of literally act the part of a real-life heel who's going to get the kind of crossover heat that we don't see a lot of nowadays in quote-unquote, you know, the kayfabe dead era, all that? How willing were you to take on that heat, even if it extended outside the ring? Well, I'm more than willing to, you know, <laughs> I thrive off heat, I love being a heel. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I live for moments like that, so I actually wanted to, uh, like a long time ago, I wanted to be more, more of a heel, more of a heel, but, you know, I just wasn't given the, the, the platform of the spotlight. Now that the spotlight's on, you know, I'm going to take full advantage of it, and, you know, I, I really actually enjoy it. And it, uh, when I just growing up as a kid watching wrestling, you know, it, it those are the types of heels that I grew up watching. So, you know, it, it's great. It's kind of like a throwback in a way. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. You're from Calgary. Your character's from India. That you, You've done a lot of wrestling tours in India. There's a real connection there. What have you heard has been the reaction since your victory to the Indian fans? No, the reaction has been great. Uh, even though I'm born in Canada, you know, I, I relate as an Indian. Even like in the States or in Canada, someone, you know, they don't say, oh, the Canadian guy, oh, the Indian guy, you know. Yeah. But, um, no, you know, I speak the language. I know the culture fully. I wrestled there. Uh, you know, they're very proud. Like, these other athletes, like uh, Amir Khan, the professional boxer who's uh, born in the U.K., but he's uh, 
he's Pakistani and you know he's a hero in Pakistan. Uh, there's a lot of Bollywood actors that are not born in India. You know they're born in like Hong Kong or Australia or something like that. But you know Indian people, uh, you know they're just proud to see one of their own be successful. And you know I've got a lot of support. And uh, you know it's great, and the sports only going to continue because uh, WWE Universe in India is one of our you know most special places. We have the most like a very strong following there, and it's only going to get uh, get bigger and better. And I see WWE actually signing more Indian wrestlers. And, you know, it's all in all a step in the positive direction. Jinder, you said something fascinating earlier in the interview. You talked about the unpredictability of the Chicago crowd, and you really didn't know what to expect this past Sunday night. Be honest with us. Were you nervous heading out of the curtain, heading into the ring for that match, not knowing how it would be received? Yeah, yeah. I'd be if I say I wasn't nervous. I was, uh, of course, of course. I'm nervous before every match, but, you know, not only is this for the championship, it's a main event. It's Chicago, all these things. But uh, you know what? I, I actually enjoy the pressure. I, I, you know, I was glad that I rose to the occasion. And um, yeah, I, I was nervous to answer that, but in a good way. Joe, I believe what you just said, but I'm going to call you out something that I don't believe that you said earlier in this interview, Jinder, when you said that you don't really think about any of those junk foods anymore. There's just no way that can be true. And look, <laughs> dude, you've got the best physique in WWE right now, maybe one of the best physiques I've ever seen. You look great, like you said. You feel great. But I have to imagine that maybe in those moments that you don't want to admit that you're maybe thinking about a bacon cheeseburger or you're thinking about a milkshake or a cookie or whatever your vice is. Oh, how so, dare you? So be honest with us. What are are you fantasizing about gender food wise there at night? No, I, I actually, so what I do is I order, most of the time I order food from a meal prep company. It's called Nutrition Solutions. And, uh, you know, they, they'll make like a healthier version of a burger. You know, within my uh, macronutrients, so I'll have X amount of protein, X amount of carbohydrates, you know, no sugar. You know, so I kind of took myself in, in that sense. And also post-workout, uh, I eat a complete cookie. It's like a protein cookie. But after your workout, you need fast-burning carbohydrates. You need sugars. So that's the perfect way. It has protein in it, and it has sugars, and it has uh, very low fat. So it's all about uh, nutrient timing. Um, any other time that cookie would be bad, like before bed, oh, no, that's a horrible idea. But right after my workout, immediately I drink a protein shake, have the cookie, and also nutrition solutions, you know, helps me keep on track by, uh, you know, offering like healthy alternatives of, uh, of kind of like junk, junk food, you know, like cleaned up versions. So n- no pizza, gender, no desire to have pizza anymore. Never again. No pizza for gender Mahal. No, honestly, man, nothing tastes as good as feeling good. That's what I say. There's That's very, a great line. There's no food in the world that, you know, tastes, uh, gives you a better feeling than walking around, you know, veins bulging out, six pack abs. You know, that's, that's the best feeling in the world. How dare you try to tempt this guy? Before we let you go, Jinder, I think the best part about your push, from my perspective, was seeing hard work pay off and be rewarded. You had been with the company earlier. You went through the process of getting cut from 3MB, my my favorite delightfully cheesy gimmick ever, by the way. But you came back and reinvented yourself. When you look back, what's the turning point? Was there a was there a rock bottom moment? Was there something that really started to get the wheels turning that you look back upon now? That's the most important part of where you are today. Yeah, honestly, during the time that I got, was released, like at one point I kind of did hit rock bottom. You know, I stopped caring. I was like way out of shape, drinking, and, you know, just not caring. And then one day I just stopped drinking. I ordered the nutrition solutions, the meal prep, started training again. And two months later, I was signed back to WWE. 
Like, but for the two years that I, I didn't care, nobody cared about me. But as soon as I started caring, two months later, I was signed down to WWE. And, you know, I just see all these great things happen by, you know, my effort. Things just started yeah, slowly getting better and better. So that motivated me to work harder and harder. And, you know what, I think it's actually a good thing, too, for the rest of the locker room because they see me, like, bottom of the card, opening match type, <laughs> type guy to, you know, all the hard work I put in. And, you know, now I'm, you know, main event level. So, you know, it's kind of motivating for them, too. Like, hey, man, like, you know, it's possible. Like, you just want to uh, – I mean, the guys that are on the lower card, you know, they, they see, like, oh, man, he's one of us. And, you know, now he's in the main event. So, I, you know, I think it's great. And WWE, you know, it's uh, – you know, rewards hard work. And, you know, that's uh, – I've got to give him credit for that. Look, Jinder, it's a great story. You're performing at a high level right now. Love everything about the gimmick. Love the Singh brothers by your side, although I think one of them may not have recovered from that suplex on the table. Yeah, Jinder, but, is but, he okay? Is is that Singh brother okay? Because yeah, yeah, even okay. Randy he's looked okay. like, like, oh, my God, like, what did I just do? Singh brothers are tough. They'll be okay. Well, congratulations on everything, Jinder. Thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to see what's next for you with the belt in this feud and definitely on down the road. Awesome. Thank you, guys. That was the WWE champion, Jinder Mahal, joining Brian Campbell, Nick Costos in this corner. CBS Sports, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein also with us here. BC, that's a mark-out moment for yours truly. I'm so happy for Jinder. I thought that was a great spot. I loved him saying he hasn't had a cheat meal in six months. I mean, actually kind of <laughs> feel bad for the guy here. But how about he goes, you know what I fantasize about? Being WWE <laughs> champion. I thought that was a badass interview, my man. Look, I, here's what I pop for. I pop for the real-life journey for these guys of what it's like being on the road, going, you know, doing so many house shows that no one sees, climbing that ladder to hear him talk about what it was like to turn his career around, what it's like to walk through Gorilla and have a standing ovation from Vince. I marked out for that. That's what get, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a bow and arrow bullseye to the field spot. There's no, there's no question about it. You know, I wasn't expecting to come out of a gender interview and get hit in the field spot, but I did. You know, being candid with you guys, I've been eating right for two weeks, doing a really good job if I'm going to put myself over on it. But when he said, you know, take care of yourself and good things will happen. And he talked about not even thinking about a cheat meal. Like, yeah, have I had a cheat meal? No, I've had a cookie here and there, but I've been really, really good. But for him to say that, you know, I'm not saying that Ginger's going to be my motivation or anything like that. He could but, be, though, but, and, I, and I think but that's fair no, if he is. But, but looking at what I this, did call you South Florida's Maharaja for a reason, <laughs> right? But what this guy has done, I mean, it's impressive, and, and you really have to respect it, and you have to respect the dedication and just the gumption that he has to keep it going. And, and that, that, to me, is the most striking thing. Like, that takes balls, discipline, everything to be able to do what he's done to transform his body the way that he has. So full marks yeah, for that gender. Not to get interview. Tony Robbins on you, but his message was essentially this. You go in the direction of your dreams. You take steps toward that direction. Good things will happen and doors will open. And if, if anyone, you know, can, can put away their cynicism aside to just take that message in, I thought it was a really good interview. And the direction of the Jinder Mahal storyline, the next direction was realized on Tuesday night on SmackDown. BC, the Punjabi championship celebration. How'd you like that on SmackDown Live? Uh, I could straight up honest. I popped for it. Yes. Okay. Was his work on the mic afterwards great? No, it wasn't. But was that a message? That we are trying something new. We have a new culture to push on you. We have a new style of champion with a different personality, a different background. Going full on and putting that much, here's the, here's that term again, attention to detail into showering and accepting and celebrating this new champion. 
I popped for it. I loved it. The Bollywood boys were great. The, the Singh brothers in the middle of that. Apparently they didn't die for, from that Randy Orton suplex, which was great to hear. Uh, four, five star, no, you're not five stars, but, but two thumbs up from this guy right here. Uh, a couple of points here. Number one, Randy Orton is going to get meteoric nuclear face heat. Because of gender. Like if Orton, and I, and I understand not having him on the show on SmackDown and him not running out like during the Punjab, like you want to save that. Randy Orton is going to get cheered through the roof and it's because of how much heat Jinder is getting as a heel. A couple nice touches I liked. Jinder walking right past the Singh brothers, like not even acknowledging their existence, I thought was a pretty nice touch to his, uh, to his heel character. Here's my one problem with it. Like he's trying to get Indians over as like heels, like, I love Indians. Like, I love Indian people. I love Indian food. Like, I have no problem with the Indian people. I actually like Jinder Mahal. So I think that's the one part maybe where it falls a little flat. And I do think he's going to have to add a couple, like, clubs to his golf bag, so to speak, here. We can't just keep coming out and saying, you didn't believe in me. Like, I look different and I talk different. It's the same shtick. Like, you became the champion. There's a difference between becoming and being. And he needs to do something a little different here. But that can come in time. I thought for night one of the Jinder Mahal area, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, the pageantry, pageantry was great. It was a great spectacle. Enjoyed watching it. Thought it was different and put him over, like Brian said. The mic work is going to be an issue. And WWE will have to figure this out. Now, they've given him this opportunity. They've put him in the position. Good for him. Good for them. But if this continues and they do give him some new lines and it's just not working, this may wind up being a short title reign. And that's just something that he needs to figure out and booking needs to figure out because, and, and he, because like yeah. Nick said, it's been the same thing for a month. Every single time he speaks, it's the same thing. Well, here's what booking has to figure out. They have to figure out why we are going to decide to fully hate him. It can't just be hate him because he might not deserve it in terms of his character or just naturally hate him because he's different. If there are people that are watching, having that reaction, they have to give us a reason to, you remember in star Wars episode two, when, uh, when a young Anakin Skywalker found his mom, like captive, you know, captive and bandaged. You, you up just and brought up attack arms. of the claw. Like that is one of the worst movies of all time. It's like, a worst movie, but a great reference here. And remember when, when, you know, Anakin <laughs> got there, she died in his arms and, and you're like, Oh hell yeah. Young Darth is going to fire back and take out some of these uh what were they sand people i don't know what these and people Brian, are and, and he didn't kill it wasn't just the men but the women uh, and the children exactly too. i think and look and so what anakin at that point was an edgy baby face who was headed toward a a dark heel turn randy orton is a is a heel when he's at his best as a baby face it's an edgy baby face they need to create a situation where we start cheering for randy to get such vicious comeuppance against against gender now, maybe they're not going in that direction because they're trying to put over India. They're trying to put over a new market. So maybe they're neutralizing how they push gender so he doesn't come off as completely vile. So you can have a Punjabi celebration like this and please everybody. Well, it is worth knowing they are cutting separate promos that only Indian markets are able to see. And they're geotagging it on YouTube so American audiences don't see that. Also, on Smack, on, uh, on Raw, uh, sorry, SmackDown, how do I forget? On SmackDown, when they're doing this, he's heel to us. He's not heel to India and to the other markets that he's talking to. So they're threading that line already. And it's very difficult to kind of throw him in one direction when they're trying to make him, let's not call it a face, 
but a figure that they can buy into in India. You know who I'd like to throw in one direction, and that direction's off a cliff? Hayden Christensen, the worst actor of all time, who single-handedly killed <laughs> episodes two and three. Look, Phantom Menace was terrible. Attack of the Clones was brutal. Revenge of the Sith, you go back and watch it. It's one of the worst movies of all time. No, no, no. Oh, no. Well, hold on. I might have to put you on trial. We don't have the time, but episode three holds up. Come on. It does, it does, it not, off. It is horrendous, and the end scene... Ewan McGregor's actually a good actor. I would imagine that he would just went home and drink himself into a stupor in his trailer every night because he had to work with that stiff Hayden Christensen. Was it WCW late 90s pay-per-view level? Yes, but it was the best of that (laughs) book. I don't know if it was. Those three prequels were terrible, but like you said, that's a story for another time. Maybe I'll go on trial on next week's edition of the show, but we are here to move on now to Hero or Zero, and I referenced it at the top of the show. I love our guy, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, but Adam, he can be a pain in the ass, and he is a control freak, so we're going to throw him a bone here, and we're going to give him control over Hero or Zero. What do we got first here, Silver King? Let's kick this off with Shinsuke Nakamura. Now, I know we're all buying what he did on SmackDown. We like the direction he's going, but WWE is changing the gimmick again. They are adding a third nickname. He's the King of Strong Style. He's the artist known as, which you guys know I hate, and now he's WWE's rock star, Brian, Hero or Zero, Shinsuke Nakamura, being a rock star in WWE. Look, not trying to be a negative guy in, in, you know, in nitpick for no reason, but this is a massive zero because Adam, you said a third nickname. It's not a third nickname. We got to open our ears and realize they are not calling him the King of Strong Style anymore. There is no reference to that anymore. What's the best part ultimately about his character? That for as flamboyant as he is, he backs it up in the ring with strong style, with MMA style. Calling him WWE's rock star is preposterous. Let's get to actual facts here. The only, there's two connections he has with music. One, a violin, a classical instrument in his theme song, not rock and roll. Number two, that he's compared to Michael Jackson, that he dresses a movie like him the last time i checked michael jackson one he's not with us two he's the king of pop all right there's no rock in that calling him wwe's rock star is to play up and make him this uh this digestible character for anybody and here's the thing he was so good because he was cool because you know he does that weird spot where he puts his head on someone's waist and he dances a little bit and there's almost some like Almost some like homosexuality going on there. There's a, there's some things that come out of his character that are interesting and give him layers and give him depth. When you call him WWE's rock star, you are commercializing him to the umph degree. You are taking a gourmet meal and putting it through the McDonald's kitchen. I do not like WWE's rock star at all. And maybe this is a sourpuss take to give today when we loved what he did in the ring. But stop commercializing and goofy and goofying up this guy. Don't disnify him, if you will. He's the king of strong style for a reason. End end of discussion. Quote the Campbell, nevermore. I don't want to hear that term again. Okay, I have uh, – I'm a really arrogant, egotistical, narcissistic guy. I always like to be right and have the final word. I can't hear because Brian Campbell absolutely nailed it. BC, you're 100% right. It's absolutely atrocious. It's really stupid, so we're just going to move on here. Silver, Silver King, what do we got? So the Hardy Boys got one over on Sheamus and Cesaro again by way of a singles victory. Matt beat Sheamus in the middle of the ring. And with that, got to choose a stipulation for their tag team title rematch at Extreme Rules. It will be held in a steel cage. Nick, hero or zero to the stipulation? Uh, I like the stipulation here. People are going to want to see the ladder match probably, right, BC? But, like, they just did that at WrestleMania. They'll do another ladder match at some point down the road here. To me, the more noteworthy thing was that when they had the graphic before the match, Matt Hardy was just 
his like regular picture of him. It wasn't the broken picture of Matt Hardy. And I don't know if they're going away from that now, hmm. if this is just going to be the regular Hardys. For me, the Steel Cage BC, it's fine. It's going to be a good match because all four guys can work here. They'll save the ladder match for down the road. This gets a hero for me, BC, but not a resounding hero. Look, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a light zero, but it is a zero. I'm not too angry about it. But you even saw when Broken Matt's and I'm gonna call him Broken Matt spit out the uh, the stipulation. It was as if everybody's hoping he's gonna say something obscene, something absurd, like baseball bats wrapped in barbed wire or something. And he was like a steel cage, and it did give me that like wah, wah, because guys, the card is called Extreme Rules. Steel cages are no longer extreme. I don't want a Hell in a Cell match because they they overplay it a bit. But a Hell in a Cell match is extreme. A regular steel cage match, not extreme. The Hardys could do something a lot more creative here. Zero, let's move on. You know what would be very cool? A final deletion match, which they obviously won't do. Silver King. You know, you guys, you can't jump off the top of a Hell in a Cell into a ring, and that's why it's a steel cage and not of a Hell in a Cell. Moving on, Akira Tozawa. He is right about that. Brian Kendrick, street fight this week at 205 Live. Brian Campbell, hero or zero? Oh, heel spot activated. It was a hero. Was it as good as I thought it could have been? No, it, it had warning track power to a certain degree. But was it a really fun match that told a story that was the culmination of a two-month feud that they put a lot of time and energy to into? Yes, it was creative. Brian Kendrick taking the purple tape that they wrapped the ropes with that gets the Silver King hot, wrapping it around the mouth of Tozawa, and then they end it with a really intense spot where Tozawa off the top rope jumping high up in the air lands a senton through a table on top of kendrick you had to break a few ribs doing that fantastic spot guys this is old school storytelling the kind we don't get to see enough of these days love the match love the story love everything about it i am full mast not half mast full mast for this one it's a hero oh i am full mast as well this was great and you referenced it Brian. the obvious best part of this was that sent on by tozawa you saw it on monday night raw and then you saw it through the table uh on 205 live it's absolutely terrific. And that move has been bastardized by Jeff Hardy. We remember Kai and Ty used to do it back in the day before Jeff Hardy uh, stole it Kai and, and t- turned it into the slot. <laughs> Listen, that, that, that was what, that was their finisher. The Kai and Ty finisher was the straight up regular senton. And we've seen big guys do it before, but this was the first time that we're seeing it coming back in vogue off the top rope. And this is the right cat to do it. I thought that was a breathtaking maneuver. BC, you hit some of the other minutia from the match that made this an absolute hero. Brian. You nailed it. Hey, hey, Silver King, does does Tozawa do the best uh, Tope Suicida of anybody? It's like a missile. It's incredible, right? His body type and athleticism, yes. I mean, there's no question about it. But we need to move on to the next topic here on Hero or Zero. We have seen the Drifter drift in and out of Monday Night Raw segments for weeks now. He finally made his in-ring debut. I thought it was a really good segment with Kurt Angle backstage. Gave him a match with the Intercontinental Champion, Dean Ambrose, a non-title match. Nick, hero or zero for Elias Sampson's debut? Uh, zero. Uh, I was not a fan of it. Um, I, I had sort of high hopes for it because it's been sort of cool the way that they've been teasing it, BC. Like, when is he going to have his first match? Like, what's actually going to happen? And then he comes out, and he's in the ring. And he's got the guitar. And just to tell you a little bit about me, you know that scene in Animal House? I forget if it's John or Jim Belushi, rest in peace, but he breaks the dude's guitar who's playing the guitar. That was always, that's what I wanted to do whenever I was in college. And some <laughs> schmuck, some ass clown was sitting on his front step playing the stupid guitar like, hey, And you dude, know why he was sitting there? Because he was going to take your girl as soon as you left. It was I gotta you tell got to tell you. And if you're listening right now and you're that dude that sits and plays the guitar, I hate you. I, I think that you have no place in life. So I... By 
the way, a quick Elias side story. I went to a house party, Fairfield, Connecticut, 1997. John Mayer, the John Mayer, was that guy, and look what he became, all right? Yeah, well, you know what? Well, God bless John Mayer here. John, you got to have some respect <laughs> for John Mayer. But the regular dude that does that, I hate you. So I hate our guy Samson. I hate the drifter. Now, the one thing, though, BC... The fans might hate him, too, because of it. And he was getting some pretty good heel heat by the end of it. The match itself was nothing. Um, Ambrose is not the guy to carry a guy like Samson to a good match. And I know the announcers tried really hard to put it over. Uh, a resounding zero for me for the Dredgers. Nick, you made me laugh, but 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 it's a, it's not a zero. Your your ultimate take on it was a little bit of a zero. This was a full-on hero, and here's why. why. If you've watched him at NXT, I've been a couple live shows at NXT. You know, let's say preliminary matches ahead of takeovers. He is a heat-seeking missile with that gimmick where he stands in the ring and sings a really bad song, interweaving lyrics about his opponents, and then just at the peak of the song, the opponent's music hit. It kind of worked when they did it this week on Raw. It got the same effect, and the reason why it's a hero is because if he doesn't go over and look strong in that match, he is Kurt Hawkins the rest of the way. He's a joke, and this entire build would have been for nothing. The fact that they let him go over, they intertwined it with The Miz, who was genius in the way that he he came in there and attacked the drifter so that it would allow Ambrose to lose by disqualification. That was genius. And then the finisher by the drifter, hey, dude, I get critical of people who don't have good finishers when they're elevated to big spots. That rolling neckbreaker... Not bad, because in, in the end, Samson looks like an HGH version of Seth Rollins. So he's got to have a heavy move to go out with. I was down with that hero, brother. Uh, you know, I'm going to be honest, man. You just crushed me in that argument. Um, And you, they marked me out. Like, you're right. Like, I'm talking about how much I hate him. I would have booed him. I would have given him heat. So you're 100% right. Like, I let my per- – they played me. And that – and I have a lot of respect for that. So I'm going to voluntarily take the L on this one here, BC. Award this point to you here because you're 100% right. And how about that that swinging neckbreaker, the inverted swinging neckbreaker, an homage to one of my most underrated wrestlers of all time. Remember Reno back in the day in WCW? That was his finisher, the old roll of the dice. So I, I like that here. I'll be honest. I don't remember that guy. That was his finisher. Reno had the roll of the dice, obviously, the allusions to the Vegas casino. But BC, um, you just embarrassed me, so I think it's time for us to move on to the next topic. What did I say on Sunday, guys? I told you that New Day was going to be back on Tuesday, and guess what? SmackDown Live happened. We didn't see him. Adam's wrong. Wait a minute. Talking Smack, the New Day returned. Renee Young popped in a major way. Total fangirl. Shane McMahon popped. It was great to me, Brian, Hero Zero, New Day, not just returning to the main roster, but doing so on Talking Smack. Massive because – massive hero here. And I and really I'm going to use the word massive because they have been missed and Talking Smack hasn't been as good as it could be. And when Talking Smack is good, it's when things feel loose and unscripted. And the New Day took over that set. There was no tease or, or to, to make you believe they were going to be there, but you heard the voices off screen and you're like, what? What? What's going on here? They come out with a cereal. They're pouring it all over the place. And they gave straight talk comedy. And Big E was the leader of this. And they straight up called out JBL. They're like, y'all let JBL come on this this uh, this uh here screen and say some pretty ridiculous things. And they put that point so so hard against JBL that you could see when the camera panned to Shane that he was almost like, all right, guys, wrap it up. You know, JBL's been in the headlines a little too much lately. So let's wrap up this hot take right now. Great moment. They carried that scene. They were hilarious. They, they, their, their pre- presence or their, their missing presence was felt since they've been gone since WrestleMania. Great to have them back. They will do big things. New day or stars. Uh, you always need stars on the roster. Hero for me. And I think this is going to be a topic we get into on another show. 
I think Shane McMahon kind of stinks on the microphone. Uh, I don't like him on not SmackDown. Kinda. Not I don't, kinda. he's bad and he used to be good and now he's not good. And I think that he's dragging that show down, but that's again, story for another time. New day back. How could it be anything but a hero? I got this one scored four to one. Brian Campbell. I wasn't Nick, aware that we were judging over this. Nick like, BC. Was this your doing buddy? This is four to one. Nick forfeited the first one. Gave it right back to Campbell on number four. Made a really strong point about Tazawa. Loved it. But I'm sorry, four to one. And Campbell, man, that point about them not burying Samson by giving him the disqualification, that just clinched any oh, doubt. Oh, that's an, an obvious point. This is, you know what this is? No fair to Flair. Four to one, BC? Like, what, they, what, what, what are you, are you look, paying Silver King under the table? They should put my name on the, the show. It was so dominant, you know? Yeah, I guess that, that, I guess that's probably true here. And I think we move on now from hero or zero. And we're going to slide into our guy, Brian Campbell's DM, Silver King. Starting with... Our boy at dmini78. He's now going by the Twitter name hashtag nwo4hall of fame. Tough to argue with that, dmini. Do you guys think WWE missed the boat and should have been having a women's Money in the Bank match as well as the men's match this week? Also, he gave Nick a shout out. Cheers to the Greek for putting me over last week. Us Europeans gotta stick together, fella. Midi out. Yeah, BC, you you go first on this one, but Midi, uh, I'm American, buddy, and uh, you don't have to call me the Greek. I didn't put you over, so that's it. <laughs> Sorry, Midi. Go on, BC. <laughs> by the way, shout out to Ad Talkbox, by the way, who said his per- parenting duties kept him from staying up to the product this week, so he didn't send us a question, but he did send more hate for D Midi. And did you check that Twitter war that the two of them had this week? I don't know if you were if you were linked in it, Nick and Adam, but it was hilarious. If you, if you can go yeah. back and check, uh, unfortunately, because I got to be honest, guys, I really don't care. Love you guys, but I really don't care about, about your Twitter feud. Same here look great question here uh yeah it's time to have both a women's money in the bank match and a women's royal rumble and the the argument against it will be you will completely water down the product yeah that is true you will completely water down the product but if you want to present your women's division as something that is as important as your men's you have to have these elements that's really my bottom line you can make them smaller and shorter but you have to have them and i think midi is right uh you europeans probably should stick together you know, if you want to have those things, you need more women on the show. You can't have a Money in the Bank match with, let's say, five, because you're not going to count the champion, the only five people on the entire roster. You need to have people that get excluded. You can't have a Royal Rumble with ten people. So I'm not saying they need to be 30, but, I mean, you got to add two or three women to both – to both of these rosters in order to do things like that. I, I, you could have done it, sure, and I, there were some rumors about it happening, but with such low numbers, it's just not possible. Just put James Ellsworth in the match and let's do six people, have him be one of the women in the money in the bank match. <laughs> Silver <laughs> King. style. Silver King, what's the next DM? Moving on, Blake Molina at B Molina WSU. I think this is three weeks in a row Blake's gotten on the show here, guys. He wants to know, why not have NXT be a legitimate third brand like its own indie promotion. It could still be somewhat of a farm system, but without the intent of putting them on the main roster. I could see it work for a guy like Cody Rhodes. Give him the ball and let him run with it. Don't bog him down with WWE's scripted nature. I'm going to take this one first, guys. NXT is a third brand. I mean... That's the obvious answer. It it is already. The question doesn't make sense. and, And you can't talk about doing a farm system and only sometimes putting guys in. That's what they do already. So, Blake, you know, no offense, man, but I gotta be honest, you need the promotion aspect for NXT to work. It's a good way to introduce people, and two main brands is enough. They're not gonna do a third, uh, actual television show on network television or our cable network. So for me, I, I gotta be honest, man, I don't know where you're coming from here. 
you guys have thoughts? I know I'm going to put Blake over. I know where he's coming from. The distinction of essentially what he's saying is keeping stars on that. So taking established guys who maybe would be also rans on the main product, and that's what Cody had become, right? And also ran a, a, a perennial mid guy and let him run that brand. Let him be a two to three year star there. If you did that for the upper half of the roster, I would not have a problem with it because when NXT is at its best, it is an indie promotion like feel. It's like, quasi diet coke ring of honor right so if you are going to do that i think you would get more people to tune in because you would keep established stars there goes back to my theory of when guys get sour and tired on the main roster let them go back to nxt and let them run the show for a while i'm with blake molina i'm putting him over okay first off on cody rhodes uh, i know people really like cody and he's like an indie darling right now cody rhodes is not a legitimate superstar frontman in my personal opinion i like cody rhodes i don't think he's his father i don't think that he's a legitimate frontman here and they tried to do a third brand remember ecw what happened to it it failed what's ww a business. They're not going to water down the main product by having by pushing NXT. What do they have to do? Push money. They have to sell network subscriptions. They have to put asses in the seats at all these events. You do that by having a strong main league and NXT is the minor league. It's perfect the way it is. Exactly. You have to have those lower card guys on the main roster. Not everyone can be a main eventer. I do like the concept of quote unquote demotion bringing people back to NXT for development. I want them you to You can't do, call it the motion. You can't though. call it that, but I bring Luke Harper back down there and have him get a new gimmick and then come back up. Like that's what I want to see happen. We got to move on. Uh next slide into the DM from Hart Martin at the Hart Martin. Bobby Roode debuting the night after SummerSlam and winning the Intercontinental title. Crazy idea or is it glorious, Brian? I'll be quick on this. I, I think Bobby has some limitations long term on the main roster. But if you talk about the history and the lineage of that intercontinental title and you talk about the type of guys who make that title matter, just from the look and the aura and the presence, Bobby Roode is a type of guy who could make that title matter again. So it's not crazy. He eventually will get to the main roster. It's It would be dumb not to push him to a title when he does. I don't think he'll end up winning the, a top title. I think this is where he will end up, and I'm I'm down with it. Who's he going to drop the NXT championship to, though? Because that, because yeah. th- that's obviously that's that's the thing here, right? So if Bobby Roode, let's say that they do this, and he's on Raw the night after SummerSlam, and he wins the Intercontinental Champion, that means that he's going to drop the championship at the Takeover before SummerSlam. Yeah, Drew McIntyre. Who's that's g- the answer? So, so that's the answer is Drew McIntyre. I think that this would be pretty cool. Um, I would be down with Bobby Roode debuting and winning the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, I'm actually more excited for for Bobby Roode's eventual WWE debut, BC, than it sounds like you are. I think that this could end up being pretty sweet. I like this. This idea from our guy Hart Martin. And we're going to finish up sliding into the DMs here with Antoine Hill at Twan721. With WWE getting its first Indian WWE champion, do you think it's an issue that they still haven't had an identifiable African American WWE champion? Yeah, Mark Henry and Booker T have been world heavyweight champ. Uh, and obviously The Rock is half black, but WWE really portrays him as Samoan. Nick, what do you think about this? Um, is it an issue? I always try to be careful with stuff like this because it's very nuanced, right? And I am Caucasian. So do I think it's an issue? I personally do not think it is. There are people that may disagree. I think that if you get someone, and, and we've actually talked about maybe Big E being the guy to potentially right. do this, like the one guy in the New Day who I think has legitimate maybe world championship potential, 
I would have no problem with that happening. It just has to be done correctly. Do I think it's an issue? I do not personally think it's an issue, but I totally get where other people might think that it is. Uh, historically in pro wrestling in general, is it an issue? Yes. It has always been an issue of not pushing an African American to the top. It'd been a long time in both WCW and WWE for that finally to happen for an African American to win the major title. I think you have a good point here of just looking back. I mean, obviously like, look, Naomi's the SmackDown women's championship. So it's not, you know, the new day were the tag team champions for over a year and really got pushed hard. It's not an issue that they don't try. It's just the execution sometimes in giving up. They pushed Bobby Lashley way too quick, gave him too much too soon, and then kind of gave up on him. You know, Shelton Benjamin had limitations, couldn't get over the top. I think you have to pick a guy who has the long-term potential. You have to do it right, and you could not have said it any better than Big E because not only is, does he have the, the great strength and look, he can really move in the ring, but you want to talk about – I'm not going to compare him to The Rock, but you want to talk about somebody who has the potential to do Rock-type promos where you almost freestyle and take over a broadcast. That's Big E. So that is the guy if you're going to go in that direction – I think, yeah, you're gonna, if you're gonna go around the horn and try to get somebody from every ethnic background to give him a push, let's get a breakthrough African American champion who can historically compete all time. Booker T was great, let's get somebody even more than that, who will be a crossover all-timer. I would absolutely love to see it. I think that we will see it at some point in the near future, and I'll say, I hope that we do see it at some point in the near future, because obviously so many of the fans of WWE, the great fans, African-American, I would absolutely love to see it happen. And guys, as always, we wrap it up in the old feel spot. BC, what tickled your fancy this week and made you mark out? Look, there was, there was, what do I love when my feel spots get, gets activated? Yeah, heartwarming stuff. Yeah, stuff where I pump a fist. But if you can get me la- to laugh out loud while watching WWE, when a lot of times the humor is tired, right? I laugh more at the unintentionally funny stuff than I do the programmed funny stuff. But you get me to laugh out loud to the point where I'm rewinding the broadcast twice in a row live to laugh a second and third time. Sometimes it's the stupidest stuff that gets me to pop. This week, the bullseye hit in the field spot with my man, James Ellsworth, during that backstage segment on SmackDown Live, which was essentially the disintegration of the welcoming committee. About time, by the way. But Ellsworth putting Tamina in the friend zone and doing the whole type of thing like you thought you were going to get with me, but you never will. Duh. Duh. It's cheesy. But the rebuild, the rebranding of him as essentially Kevin Federline, like a Jace, is so brilliant. He's so annoying. And you got to give WWE credit. They could have thrown this guy away at any point over the last six, nine months. You could have said, hey, we tried. We had fun with it. They went to the level of trying to reinvent him, and it's working. He's not a main event guy, although they got a lot out of him in that mini Ambrose-AJ Styles feud, so congratulations for them. But why not leave a guy like this who pops with the crowd on an underdog underdog level and now can pop with the crowd on an annoyance level and build his character up? Man, that was hilarious. It was like a – it felt like an 80s comedy movie, like a Breakfast Club type thing. It was just great. How about BC, by the way, saying the underdong so we know where BC's mind is at here. (laughs) Now another guy, BC, in the friend zone is our guy, the Silver King. What hit you in the feel spot this week? Not as often as you might think. For me, guys – Oh, I love that from the Silver King. He just swiped right in front of you? He did. He swiped right and basically told me to go to hell. I may end up just doing that. Go ahead. You know, guys, it's been a couple weeks, and I've been back and forth on the fashion files and the fashion police. You know, I, I talked about it. I didn't, wasn't buying into them. 
didn't necessarily love them as a tag team. They didn't have tag team moves. Guys, I am fully bought into the Fashion Police, and that's what I'm calling them now. I'm not calling them Brizango anymore. This was the best Fashion Files yet. These guys treating Shane McMahon like a police commissioner, I laughed out loud. I watched the segment. I rewound it to make sure that I saw, what I saw was as good as it actually was. Bringing out the water guns and having Shane being scared that they actually brought real guns into the arena. Loved that. And I got to be honest, WWE did an incredible job on SmackDown putting these guys over. They had two single match roll-up wins, both in really quick fashion, unique booking. Then they have a on-the-spot tag team title rematch. Great booking. They even have it was a good match. They even have the guy go to the headset to make sure Shane is okay with it. Like it's, you talk about the details, Brian. That's a detail I loved. And then they did this, and this is what I thought really put it all together. So they feature them backstage. They feature them in two singles wins. They have a better look. They have matching tights. They're getting over. But they still have the Usos win the match in really strong fashion with a very smart blind tag and the frog splash. So and it was a great finish, so, too. So, so what they managed to do was build up a tag team the best that they have since pushing them while still allowing the champions to come out strong. It's very rare that WWE can book one segment, let alone three segments, as well as they did that. Huge feel spot for me. That reminded me of early 2000s WWE booking. I hate agreeing with both of you guys here, but, Bri, your feel spot, I got hit in the feel spot. Adam's feel did, spot. Did you get hit in the underdong, though? Oh, man. <laughs> I, 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 I try and avoid getting hit in the underdong whenever whenever possible. The My, my one point of contention with uh, what you said, Adam, it was unique the way that they did it, but they did a roll-up finish earlier on they the show. Three. So you had three roll-up yeah. finishes on the same show. Why yeah. not have Sami Zayn use a small package instead? The little things like that. Absolutely. Maybe yeah, been using one for years, right? Maybe I'm harping on this a little too much. Yes, yeah, small package underdog, a lot of references to the male genitalia here. And with that, I will move on to my own feel spot. And for me, it was on Raw, and it was the Enzo backstage beating. And I really like when they do this, because it usually adds some intrigue to the show, right? Where you see the guy, and he sprawled out backstage, and who attacked him? It's an old-fashioned who done it, and Cass is demanding answers. I think the obvious answer, guys, is that Cass was the one that attacked Enzo. And I think the fans would actually, like, they'd want him to be a heel, but I think the fans would actually cheer for it if that happened. So I think that's where they're going here. It's going to be Cass eventually breaking up with Enzo. Cass is going to become a single star in his own right. I don't know what's going to happen with Enzo. Quite frankly, I don't care. I'm more of a Cass fan. That hit me, BC, in the field spot. Do you agree with me that it was Cass, the one that perpetrated this dastardly attack on Enzo Amore? I gotta, I gotta admit my markdom here and, and, and take a, take a hard hashtag L. I did not, while watching the broadcast and now it's so obvious, I did not even feel the, hey, it might be Cass. Even though he, he was angry looking in his face when he was getting an angle's face, I didn't go, hey, maybe this is the setup for the separation. I got so caught up in the, Man, Enzo takes a lot of beatings. I hope he's okay. Like, I actually got caught up in the markdom of it. I want to see who this is. That guy deserves justice. So, yeah, the way you set it up, it, it makes a lot more obvious sense. It, it's it's going to be fun when they do break up. I think Enzo can be the mouthpiece, by the way, for any tag team after this and, and get and become the greatest mouthpiece of all time because he can take bumps. I mean, he could be Bobby Heenan 2.0 in the long run. Not the same style, but he has that kind of potential long term. You know, I like Big Cass a lot as a potential mid-card title holder, maybe even a main eventer one day. And I like Enzo in the cruiserweight division potentially because he has that size. But guys, this is really early to break up a really popular tag They're team. They're not that popular. No. And it's not early. They've been around. Their act is stale. It's, it's the still, same crap every yeah, week. No, it's stale because also you, ha you saw it for months in NXT as well. 
I'm still buying into the good guy stuff, and I'm thinking it might be the revival. They're going to be coming back soon. They need a way to integrate them back into the program. So I'm not buying that just yet. Would I be upset if it's Cass? No, but I think we know from the Tommaso Ciampa turn, it's always better if you do it in front of a crowd. That was Nick. Nick, yeah. I got to break you up and say, give you a question on, on lifestyle choices here. You, sw- you're a swiper in real life. We're talking about cast turning heel. Didn't Enzo already turn heel when he tried to meet Rusev's wife in a hotel room? True I, or false? You know, I, I try and like block out stuff that I don't think is like really that. Like, I'm not. I'm honest, right? I'm not into Enzo Amore. Like he's pretty good when he gets out there and does his shtick. Sometimes it's tired. The Enzo and Cass act has run its course. It's sort of similar, Brian. Tell me if you agree to Sasha Banks in the sense that we've had so many moments where you think, okay, this is the moment when Enzo and Cass are going to go over and it just doesn't happen. We were all sitting there in attendance at WrestleMania this year and we thought Enzo and Cass were going to win that match and then the Hardys music hits and that was the end of that. It has run its course. It's reached its nadir. I think that they are done as a tag team turn Cass heel and have him turn on Enzo Amore. For me, Brian, that would activate the old feel spot for yours truly. Get the underdog a little excited. It would activate the feel spot if we find out that Angle was the one that took him out, all right? That's what I'm talking about. I'll tell you what, that would be pretty good. And I think that's a good note for us to close this week's edition of In This Corner with our guy, Brian Campbell. For the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, our guest, the WWE champion, Jinder Mahal. I am handsome Nick Costos, the guy with his name on the marquee. His his name's Brian Campbell. He's got two words for you as we close out this week. We out.